American history is full of the good, bad, and everything in between. But in the end, these are our stories. Today's episode, we welcome a special guest, Alexander Rose, to talk about his books, especially his new one, The Lion and the Fox, Two Rival Spies and the Secret Plot to Build a Confederate Navy. So pull up a chair and join your host, Jacob, for a brand new episode of The History Book. Welcome to a brand new episode of The History Book. Today, I am joined by a special guest, author Alexander Rose. Alex has written several books, including Washington Spies, The Story of America's First Spy Ring. This book became the basis for the AMC television series, Turn, Washington Spies, where Alex served as writer and producer. He has also written Kings in the North, A History of the Anglo-Saxon Wars, American Rifle, A Biography, Men of War, The American Experience of the Battle of Bunker Hill, Gettysburg, and Iwo Jima, Empires in the Sky, Zeppelins, Airplanes, and the Two Men's Epic Duel to Rule the World. His latest work, which just came out on December 6, 2022, is titled The Lion and the Fox, Two Rival Spies, and the Secret Plot to Build a Confederate Navy. Alex, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Well, thanks for, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. My first question is really about your writing process. I've done a lot of interviews with a couple authors and I'm always interested to see how they go about writing. So what is your process like? What inspires you to write what you're doing? Oh, well, God, it, you know, it's a mess. I don't, <laughs> I don't really have, you know, one of these really laid out, you know, structures of writing, you know, I mean, I'm always changing things and, you know, I kind of, I'm trying to get better to tell you the truth. I mean, <laughs> Thanks to sort of new types of software and so on, I'm actually getting a little better at the whole structuring of a book and sort of thinking it through before I start. But I'm I'm certainly not one of these guys who I don't know how they do it. You know, they 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 sort of plan out every single page essentially what they're they're doing like from page one to page 360. I can't do that. I'm the most I can do is I know vaguely where I'm going to go in a chapter i know the vague you know the sort of the infrastructure of the book i know where you know the the kind of the high points i want to hit in a chapter and so on so i kind of wend my way through it i think you know to me it, it's not actually the writing process which is the most important it's actually the editing process you know as they, i think that old phrase goes about you know it, you know e- uh, sort of easy reading is hard editing you know so you've got to you know i tend to spend a lot of time editing the stuff that I, the well, the, the rubbish that I, <laughs> I uh, you know, at, at vast length and you know, a, a huge amount of explanatory detail that at the end of the day, you kind of delete it all and you go, oh, I didn't really miss that. I thought that was important at one point, but I guess not. Interested in different types of note-taking techniques. If that, you know, you know I've, I've kind of tried a lot of them, like Obsidian and, you know, LogSeq and Rome Research and all that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, the one I've relied on the most for the last several books is Scrivener, which is, you know, you know, they say the writers, the writer's software. And I think, I think it's at the end of the day, it basically does everything I need it to do without too many complications. But in terms of process, you know, as I said, I kind of start out, I start out with the idea of the book, the, you know, the, the vague, I, I know that the, the sort of the structure of the whole thing, I know more or less where I want to end up. And then it's just really a matter of, 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 doing the research and that for that I do a lot I you know I do a lot of of, of you know background so you got to you know you got to archive you got to order up 
papers, you've got to have them digitized. If you, nowadays, it's a lot easier rather than having to tramp off down to, you know, God knows where to find some papers. You can just kind of call them up and order the papers that often that you can uh, get them digitized for you and sent to you. You know, a lot of secondary material, you have to dig around the subject, you know, you find out the stuff that you don't know, find out the stuff that you should know and don't. <laughs> so it's a lot of that. But I tend to, you know, and then I start taking the notes and sort of basically reading around the subject. I mean, that's that's essentially how I I kind of do it, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of stumbling forward steps, as they say. Well, you bring up your research and gathering your resources. It does kind of bring me to my next question. So two of the books you've written about are are spies who are obviously trying to keep the things that they do secretive. How difficult is it to find that primary resources? Well, it's, 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 as you pointed out, I mean, most spies are not in the habit of keeping incriminating documentation around. Yeah. So there's not as much of it as you think, but there's probably more than you suspect. Mm. Um, the thing with, with, in, and again, I just, I just have an interest in historical espionage or historical intelligence, but you know, the serious study of intelligence, not the sort of sensationalized stuff yeah. that you often see it's more um, that, you know, there are colossal numbers of papers and, and archives and notes and, and memorandum documents and letters and all those diaries and that kind of thing. They're huge. They're, they're not online. They're kind of hidden away in archives. I mean, mm -hmm. just as a conservative estimate, I know everyone thinks that everything is online nowadays. And if it's not online, it doesn't really exist. That's kind of fun. There's a, there's a huge amount online, uh, which I use all the time. But, you know, I'd say about this, you know, conservatively, 98.8% of all archival materials have never seen pixel. <laughs> they are they are on paper locked away. You have to find them and dig them up. And and, and I work in a public library. We have vital records and a bunch of stuff in our local history room that probably have never seen the light of day. Exactly. And that, that stuff is gold for people like me because it's there. And, you know, the hard work of archivists and librarians is that they they actually have archived this stuff. They actually have put it into boxes. They have compiled a finding aid. They have read through the stuff and they've put it away and, you know, stored away in, in you know, in boxes in a, in a you know, climate controlled basement or something like that. But it's it's a mine of of material of unrefined raw material and if you're you know if, if you're motivated to do it and you're you spend enough time and going through finding aids and taking stabs in the dark and using your intuition and taking guesswork and guesswork not all of which pays off you uh you know you can find the most amazing stuff like for instance just um i just give you a quick example for the for this latest book on the lion and the fox i mean there is in the national archives which is outside of washington it's the you know the the primary resource for all government and, and, and so on documents. Colossal place. I mean, you can get lost there without any problems. Oh, yeah. There is, and it was all on uh, on paper, but it was microfilmed, I think, in the 50s or 60s. And, you know, and it was it, this, I mean, it, it, enormous trope. I mean, it's got, I mean, I don't even, I can, hundreds of thousands of pieces of paper that can, that, that comprise the, the, the dispatches of U.S. consuls abroad. Hmm. Consul is, uh, you know, just someone who is kind of the, an American representative in a, in a kind of a secondary or tertiary city. It's not the main ambassador. But yeah. every week, these guys from all around the world, hundreds of different places in the world, most remote corners of it, over the course of the 18th and 19th century, would submit their reports to the State Department. And they were duly unread 
<laughs> stuck away in a file somewhere. For Lion and the Fox, the fact is, is that one of the, 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 the one of the protagonists, the main protagonist of the book, the guy I focus on, I mean, he submitted, as as he was supposed to do, weekly or, or twice a week reports, you know, in, in you know, beautiful copper plate handwriting, detailing exactly what he was doing all that time during the week and sending them off to stigma. And I don't think anyone had looked at these things in, I mean, I, I don't know, decades and decades and decades, maybe a century, I have no idea. And, but there were, I mean, thousands of pages of this stuff, just cut. Sorry, just covering a couple of years of the or, you know, the, the Civil War. Yeah. Um, so rather fortunately, just be, just before COVID broke out, I I asked the uh, the uh, National Archives to digitize them, and uh, you know they managed to get it done, uh, you know, and sent them sent them to me. Like, but thousands of pages of JPEGs of these things, and you know, it took me you know it took me about three or four weeks a month to basically read or skim them all. And mm-hmm. but the stuff that was contained within was essentially explosive. I mean, it was just the internal workings uh, and machinations of, of Dudley's, well, the, the protagonist's mind, what he was doing, what his intelligence operations were, what his budgets were, the, the names of his agents, the names of his detectives, the, you know, the web of companies that he put together that were working as this kind of front network for the Confederates. I mean, this stuff is, is I mean, it's gold and mm-hmm. stuck away in an archive. But yeah, so just to get back to your question, primary that primary stuff is the is the is the main engine of of a book, and it, it's there if you find it. And you know, I did the same thing with the Culpa Ring with the Washington Spies. I mean, there were about two hundred letters of the Culpas scattered all around the Washington papers. I mean, they were just all over the place, mm-hmm. and there was filed higgledy piggledy there and there. You know, they were a real mess to to find and sort out. But uh, you know, eventually I did it, and you put them in chronological order, and all of a sudden. You know, you've got the uh, the autobiography of George Washington's private spy ring. Yeah. So yeah, so that's 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 the main stuff. But so spies leave behind more material than you think. Mm-hmm. So you you brought it up, and and I feel like it's a good time to start asking, what is it like to have something you wrote transformed into a television series? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I it, it's a little. It was a little at first. It was a little disconcerting. In the sense that I, you know, when you're a writer, you tend to work alone, as you can see. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden you're a part of a collaborative enterprise. And there were dozens of people around and there are, you know, there's a whole room full of writers. There's 10 other people in there, all of whom are basically taking apart your book and asking you <laughs> lots of questions about things. So, but the weirdest experience I think was when, uh, when they were shooting the pilot, they were, I was very kindly asked to come down to Virginia where they were shooting it near, um, yeah, near uh, Richmond and, and Petersburg and to come out and, you know, just hang around for two weeks. And I'd never been on a TV set before. I didn't know anything about it, but it's weird in that you're meeting actors and walking around you know, a village or a, a set of some kind that you've kind of envisaged only in your mind's eye before. And now it's right here in front of you. Yeah, you're right, you're right here in front of you. And you've got people walking and talking, sort of using li- almost lines from your own book. Hmm. Um, bring you th- so it's this weird sort of this very strange and alien world comes sort of being conjured up right in front of you. Yeah. yeah for, for a little while, it was a little odd, you know, whoa. Uh, and you were walking around and, you know, pick up things and put them down again. And what you're usually told to put that down again uh, <laughs> by someone working there, like get the, get this stupid rider off the set kind of thing. 
but yeah, so it, it is, but it is, it is quite fun. I mean, once you, and once it, once you begin there, uh, and I was very lucky that I was asked to join the writer's room after, after the first season, I was sort of an advisor for the first one, you know, and mm -hmm. mostly, mostly <laughs> uh, through politeness. Uh, but, you know, after that, then you, then you're beginning to write in this, in the, in the, in the, the way the character would, would speak. And you, you know, again, you also have to keep in mind that there are major divergences from the book. Yeah, that was one of my next questions is how much of a change was there for dramatic purposes? Oh, huge, like major changes. I think the the basic rule of thumb was that we wouldn't mess with dates. Mm. You know, if they said that a battle took place on, you know, June 5th, 1778, you worked around that. You didn't change the battle date or anything like that in order to make it more convenient for yourself. But a lot of the other stuff, there was a lot of dramatic license. But the point was, is that with these things, as I, you know, as I learned over the course of it, is that what's really important is 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 the sort of a, uh, transmitting a, a kind of sense of authenticity yeah. to audience rather than this sort of desiccated idea of, well, it's not authentic. I mean, it's not accurate, which can mean any number of things. It's It's a very variable concept. You know, one man's accuracy is another man's, you know, major error. Mm -hmm. um, authenticity is really about, you know, getting across, trying to committing to showing audiences what a what a what what uh, you know the past looked like, what it felt like to the characters, presenting them with realistic problems and conflicts, and allowing a modern audience to kind of understand what people of the past went through. You see, yeah, it, it seems like there's that big difference between what's in a between the book and, and the TV series is the TV series is more so trying to get you to feel. Yeah. I mean, the, a book can obviously make you do that, but that's definitely what the TV series is trying to get you to do is it wants you to feel what these people are feeling. Well, yeah, exactly. It's because one is, um, one is a, you know, kind of, a, a um, you know, a literary form and the other one is a very visual form, which again, I learned very, <laughs> learned very quickly uh, the differences between because I'm used to, you know, I, in the book, I probably wouldn't do this nowadays because it's, you know, it, it it slows down the book a bit. But, you know, I could easily spend four or five pages explaining and discussing Robert Townsend's Quakerism. Yeah. Like a back, back on a Quakerism, how it influenced him. You know, this kind of, you know, you can spend a lot of time doing this. How this, you know, the Quaker tenets of nonviolence and not joining an army and all the, and how, and, and, and principles of uh, quietism and, and, you know, pacifism and so on, how this influenced Townsend when, why he went into the intelligence world and all that. I can really go to town on this. But in, in a show, in a show, I remember we were introducing Robert Townsend, the uh, Quaker in question, and it was, <laughs> it was basically, you know, a couple of lines of, uh, you know, I'm a Quaker. I'm a pacifist. I can't join the army. Great. Move on. And, <laughs> you know, you sort of try, you just sort of just threw that out there. People got the point and it's, a, it, you know, well, as opposed to lots and lots of words. So, you know, what I found was, is that screen play, uh, screen, screenwriting or screenplay writing is a little like poetry compared to prose. You get, you ha as you pointed out, you have to get very visual striking images mm -hmm. um, and uses of language and compress it as much as you can and then put that onto a page as opposed to just spending as as a writer can you know you know pages and pages and pages and pages merrily describing you know you know what's happening and, and what characters are doing yeah and then you just 
it's show not tell basically yeah well speaking of robert townsend yeah. why do you think he kept his activities in the culprit spiring secret later on in life i think it, it was shared with with all of them i mean all of them kept quiet about it i mean the in a nutshell it was essentially because in the 18th century unlike nowadays for instance espionage or intelligence work was regarded as a field generally reserved for you know blackguards and and scoundrels and liars and and mm-hmm. you know and mercenary types you know that kind of ground level operational work and none of the none of these none of the men in the culpa ring wanted to be seen as that kind of person there was a kind of a, a respect to it they were very they they interesting if you read their letters they you know they're very very concerned about their reputation and how washington sees them because they know washington is this you know you know wealthy grand man you know a great landowner and you know they want to be seen as gentlemen as well mm-hmm. by him and so they would always they would get very so they would never so i remember i think it was uh woodall i think he gets i if i recall i have to try and check it out but i think at one point he gets very very insulted very very angry when washington offers him money because it, that would imply that he was he was regarded as a as sort of a lowborn you know, agent for pay you know betraying his friends and 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 allies and all that kind of stuff in his country what that was interesting though is of course is that they all were very very keen on getting their expenses repaid which is a whole different whole yeah. different area so you know but essentially after the war they you know they kind of went back to their old lives they didn't they didn't just in case anybody it wasn't it wasn't something to to boast about mm-hmm. being a spy that kind of only changed a little bit in the in the 19th century uh, you know, much later on, basically after they died, they, they died all when they were very, very old. So that, I mean, that's the essential reason. You just say, but the, the basic point here is, is that 18th century spying, like, you know, like 16th century spying, which is, you know, stuff I like to look into in 19th, it, this is all very different from modern. Yeah. Post-1945 conceptions of, of intelligence. You, you got to take yourself out of that world. And put yourself into in, in inhabit it's, the. It's separating habit. yourself from the 007. 007, uh, Smiley, you yeah. know, John Carre, CIA, you know, spy game. I mean, like basically any spy show or movie yeah. from nine, basically from nineteen thirty onwards, <laughs> falls into that category. It's a very modern conception where you have things like, I mean, just for the CIA. I mean, you have a. In, in the 18th century or 19th, you just didn't have these kind of bureau, bureaucratic institutions like the CIA. You didn't have a you know a pension scheme. You didn't have a training scheme. You didn't have a you know recruitment scheme. There's nothing, you know, you didn't have training or courses or there's nothing of that going on in a hierarchy of of managers and and employees and all that kind of stuff. Didn't have any of that. You were basically left on your own, and you know you uh, you know you did what you could with no training and you know no background, and you know you trusted your friends. Yeah. As it, as the culpers, you didn't you didn't have a you weren't working for the company kind of thing. It was a different, completely different way of thinking. My next question is about the new book. Can you kind of set the stage of it and kind of tell us a little bit about without giving us away the whole book? Kind of set the stage of what's happening, what we're looking at, what people should be ready to get into. Well, the book came about because I was, I uh, you know, it came with the idea quite a long time ago. And I was thinking about it for a long time about how to actually do. To, to sort of structure it, how to write it, but long time, long you know, long story short, I was I was interested in doing a 
civil war story. You know, I'd done I'd done the Revolutionary War. It's great. You know, but you know, the Civil War is interesting. The fun, problem is finding a great Civil War story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Want to do a kind of a blue versus the gray type thing? You know, sort of military intelligence in the Eastern Theater or anything. I, I, was, I mean, that's being done. And it's uh, it's not what I want to do. But when I the more I thought about it was, you know, this is a story of a, a Union spy or a Union agent and a Confederate agent, and they are. Um, sort of duking it out in Liverpool, in a completely different country, Great Britain, during the Civil War, and they're left they're left to their lonesomes. And uh, the Confederates' essential mission is to build, acquire, commission, you know, steal a, uh, a you know a, a modern navy mm-hmm. that would be able to destroy the the U.S. Navy, Lincoln's Navy, and the Union, his Union nemesis in Liverpool. You know, his job was to stop him. So the way I kind of conceived of it, I don't know if you remember the, you know, the Mad Magazine strip, Spy versus Spy, where you have like the black yeah. spy. And the black. They yeah, continue, yeah. Like Tom and Jerry, they're always trying to one up each other. And they always, you know, they, they always come up with clever and clever concoctions mm-hmm. and, and intrigues. To get each other. Well, that's, that's the way I, I sort of saw the relationship between Bullock, who was the Confederate, and Dudley, who was the, the, the his, you know, his union uh, counterpart. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wanted to do, and again, it was interesting because it was it was it wasn't a land war. It was just it was an, it was the navy, the maritime aspect, which doesn't get covered that often. And as I said, in, in Great Britain, so it's it's completely outside of out of the fighting in 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 America. Yeah, so it's a very personal story about these two men, both of them you know loathed each other, and they you know they, they and their and their sort of struggle against each other you know to 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 win. Well, that's all the questions I have for us. Okay. Really, really excited for the book. I myself got to read a copy of it. I highly recommend it if if you're looking for something. I think it's a little fast paced. It's it's fun. It's a fun read. It's easy to get into, and it kind of keeps you in there. But Alex, it was great to have you on. Well, thanks very much. Um, you know, I'm glad. To, great questions. They're interesting. I hope I didn't drone on too too long about no, this. No, 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 no. No, it's perfect. Well, I will. Make sure that everybody that I know, they are looking for this book out there. Okay, great. Well, um, oh, you know, if you have a moment, I don't know if you can do it with the notes or somehow. I, you know, I run a, a sub stack. Or I'm not trying to sell it to you. It's a free thing. It's like uh, every couple of weeks I do. It's, it's, it's called Spionage. And okay. it's really just, you know, interesting stuff in my, data, in my database about spies of the past. So I just do a little bit. So the latest one was on, you know, an, a, 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 you know a, a court intrigue to assassinate the king of Assyria about two and a half thousand oh, okay. years. There's skips around doing World War Two and that, you know, it's just stuff yeah. around. That'd be cool. Okay. Awesome. But uh, yeah, this has been great. Thanks again to Alex for joining us this week for our episode. The next episode will be coming out next Wednesday and it will cover the murder of Emmett Till. Until next time, this has been Jacob and we'll see you then.